And hello, welcome back to another episode of Heels on the Court. Sam, happy MLK Day. Yeah, you, you too, except we will put this out not on MLK Day, but we're recording it yeah. on MLK Day. So We're recording on MLK Day, so very important day in our country, very important week this week for a lot of different reasons, um, but yeah, just how's your week been? What's what's new and exciting with you? The Browns lost. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. I mean, I can't, I can't really talk because they beat the Steelers, but the Browns lost, and um, we'll talk about that Patrick Mahomes play. That was a little scary. I did not enjoy watching that. Um, I don't yeah. know why you would enjoy watching that. I don't know why I said no, it like that. No, I. <laughs> You know, some people enjoy seeing that kind of stuff, you know, whenever it like, especially in the NBA, when people have injuries and stuff like that, like when their ankles blow out or whatever, people get mm. so excited over that kind of stuff, even though it's terrible and people it's shouldn't. Horrible. I mean, some people enjoy that kind of stuff. So I, I understand why you needed to to clarify that kind of thing. I mean, the NFL 15 years ago, that's all it was like you'd get up from that and keep playing. But that's so bad. So yeah. bad, so scary. Um, even just a few years ago, they probably would have put him back in the game. But I'm glad that they didn't because it was, you know, as Jim Nance says, if that's not a concussion, I don't know what one is. Um, right. And then they're saying there's a nerve issue now. I'm surprised he's going to play next week. As far as I've read, he's going to play next week. And I, I think yeah. that that's... I mean, it's terrible. I'm, I've had a few concussions. They're not fun. Um it's a really scary situation. It's, you never, it's so disorienting. I, I, I'll tell you one I had, I was playing, I was playing basketball and um, it was sometime in high school and I got hit in the head, fell down, hit my head on the court. I was knocked out for at least a possession. Nobody even noticed. And then I was just playing like pickup basketball at the, at the gym down the street. And then um, I started walking home, even though my dad was coming to pick me up bizarre Jeez. i don't know yeah so I, I mean they're they're really scary things and and not oh god i just i just wish i mean i, I get it there's a super bowl on the line the guy makes 500 million dollars in his contract but he shouldn't be playing next week let's be real there's no chance no. he should be playing but hey i I'm, mean i mean there's there's no rush on it like he can't return to practice until clearing the first four phases of the concussion protocol and it's possible he could enter the afc championship game without a single full practice um in the first place but mm -hmm. there is a protocol that they have to go through um you guys can find it on nfl.com um but the there are four or five steps, so they have to rest until the signs and symptoms return to baseline status, and the player has to undergo neurological cognitive and balance tests, um, and he has to begin cardio exercises and or stretching and balance training under the oversight of the team's medical staff. And then after that, they have to increase exercise and sports-specific activities and begin supervised strength training, and then he has to continue training and resume non-contact football activities, so like throwing, running, stuff like that. And then mm -hmm. lastly, 
he'll be cleared by the team physician for full contact and as well as have to pass an independent neurological exam and then you can return to like full practice so i mean we've seen in the past we could i could go on talking about concussions and cte and all that kind of stuff um forever that was the whole kind of catalyst for me wanting to get into sports other than being an athlete who blew out both of my knees um I saw a movie about CTE. I've heard multiple people talk about CTE, and I was super, super passionate about, you know, trying to figure out how we can still continue to play football while also protecting our athletes at the same time. So some stuff like this, while it might be horrible to say that I'm super interested in it um, and super excited when I see stuff like this happen, I'm not excited for people to get injured, but it's exciting to kind of see the science developing behind everything that's going on and what the NFL has been accepting and not accepting, even within the past couple of years. Just a few years ago, they finally had to admit that um, football causes brain damage. Just, and that was just a few years ago, and they were reluctant on admitting that. So mm-hmm. it's it's been an interesting ride. And to see Mahomes even stay off the field, that's significant progress, I feel like, for the NFL. I mean... You've heard multiple people who are players. I feel like Gronk is probably one of the most well-known of the speakers saying like, yeah, I would get concussions and just stay on the field and continue playing. Um, So I'm glad that they're finally, you know, following protocols (laughs) and stepping off the field and really focusing on their health because it's important. It's very important. Um, you're talking about, you know, having finally having a neutral neurologist on the sidelines. That's somebody that can make that decision and not feel any pressure from team ownership or anything, you know, just a bipartisan person is just so important. Um, and I'm look, the, the NFL had no choice. If Patrick Mahomes came back into that game, there would be such an uproar. Uh, yeah. people would rightfully be very upset. And, um, I mean, who knows? If he goes to the ground, stays there, do they play it off as another injury instead of where he gets up? I mean, I don't want to go into conspiracy theories and whatever, but <laughs> if, if he if he stays down and they act like, oh, he hurt his shoulder, is, does he? you think he comes back into the game? Oh, that's tough. I mean... Uh, that's that's so hard i mean just thinking of it as from it's a professional perspective versus um, an amateur if you're talking about college sports and things like that from a professional perspective specifically from patrick mahomes's position as a quarterback a shoulder injury i wouldn't necessarily come back into the game you know depending on what kind of issue it might be you don't want to damage if it's your throwing arm you etc etc there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. that go into that but from my perspective no i wouldn't re-enter the game from a college athlete perspective from an amateur status i would probably make a stupid decision and and go and continue the game i mean not necessarily that it's a stupid decision but you know if you're injured you should really probably step off of the field it's in your best interest recuperate i mean i know that people want to win i'm highly competitive i totally get that but um you know you're trying to make it to the point where you're getting paid the big bucks right so you don't want to do anything to to hurt your chances of trying to do that so my recommendation would be to step off the field but i mean we saw um who was it in the 
the Ohio was it Ohio State and Clemson was it that game or was it Alabama and Ohio State somebody had a, like a rib injury I believe it was just was it Justin Fields oh um, yeah he did have an injury but but I think we all kind of slept through that game so <laughs> right so but but there was but he did have a huge injury and he was continuing to play and everybody i mean like they won it was great but um i believe it was the clemson game um mm. but it was just crazy to think that like this guy might have broken ribs he doesn't really know he was off this on the sideline for just a few minutes and then went back on the field and played um but you know that could have been a really big like injury and he could have not played in the championship and you know who knows but I mean everything was fine um I guess in the end but I just think that it's better for these people to step off the field and and not continue to play through it no you want to see that but there there is a threshold where yeah you you have a serious injury and most of the time and then not always you know right away okay maybe you come off the field but there are certain injuries like you just got to play through them um yeah you, you do that's really just the other side of it i i've seen my fair share of of injuries i've been through my fair share of injuries there are certain things where you're like that not a chance we put you back in the game not a chance i go back in the game and then there are other things where you just kind of have to you just you just suck it up and you, and you keep playing and you take care of it later that's part of playing sports and especially at that yeah. high of a level the next guy's going to take your spot. There, there's, there's no such thing as that rule where you, you don't lose your spot to injury. No, that's not, it's not at all true. You, you totally do. And it does happen. Um, but you know, I, I just, I just am happy that when it comes to a head injury, you know, and I have this policy too, if I suspect a head injury at all with any of my players, you're not, you're not playing, especially because, you know, obviously coaching at the high school level or, even sometimes at the college level, you don't have the right personnel to make that decision. Uh, the college level is pretty good now. I, I would say actually probably everybody at this point has somebody who's qualified to make that decision. But really, when somebody hits their head, it's like kind of th done. That's it. Um, and it yeah. was good to see that in the NFL. Although, of course, you're going to hit your head. You're going to take your shots to the head. And sometimes you come up seemingly fine in the moment. And then it's 10 years later that it does something to you. But... I was just sitting there thinking, like, if they put this guy back into the game, I, I don't even know. I just, it cannot happen. And so I'm, I'm really glad that it didn't. But that's, that's what I got on that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see. Um, looking at like NFL data from 2015 to 2019, the median length of time for quarterbacks to emerge from concussion protocol is about seven days. So I, I'm sure that we will be seeing Patrick Mahomes up and being fine and playing in in these games. Um, but it's it's just interesting. Like like you like you said. I mean usually you just get up and like suck it up and play through it and all of that. But, um, Mahomes isn't supposed to be able to will himself back onto the field or suck it up. Like the, the chiefs aren't even supposed to have the opportunity to take a kind of calculated risk like that. Um, specifically, um, for something with neurological, um, issues, but it's so easy to get concussions. Um, 
kind of short tangent, but I got a concussion in college. I believe it was my sophomore year of college. I was playing flag football for my sorority team. Um, we went a little too hard. It ended up being like a full game of tackle football, um, <laughs> not, uh, without like any helmets or pads, um, because we found out that an another team was cheating and they like tied their flags. So they weren't ripping off. So we just decided to go full blast, um, ended up sacking somebody and I hit my head and got a concussion, played through the rest of the football game and then went to the campus doctor um a couple of days later after i was like the lights are really bothering me and i slept through a couple of my classes and they're like oh you have a concussion like you're gonna need somebody to help you take your finals so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's super very, easy it's, it's, it doesn't take much sometimes the lighter hits can be a little bit worse than the bigger ones but i'm not a doctor so i won't continue on with with concussion rants as if I really know what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, <laughs> no, we I feel to, that. I feel that. Yeah, we started to touch a little bit on Alabama. We actually got a question in from a, yes. from a good old friend. You're going to go ahead and read that out for us. But Yeah, we did. So we got a question from a good friend of ours, Jack. Uh, Jack asked us... Um, is Alabama becoming a coach's rehab? And is being a Saban disciple hold that much weight? Uh, with Kiffin, Loxley, and now Sarkeesian leaving with Bill O'Brien coming in, is Saban trying to help the old guard of college football? So, Sam, I'll let you start with this one. I know that you've had a little bit of time to review the question and kind of form your own opinion. And since you and Jack have a tighter relationship, I will let you guys, <laughs> you go first. Well, there there are a lot of pieces to this, right? Like I, I need to, to pull it up and look at this. So we break this down. Um, <laughs> does it, okay. So let's start, let's start here. Is it, is it a rehab as he put it for, for coaches? I think it's a second chance for a lot of people. Sarkeesian specifically with, with what he, um, you know, what happened to, to his career at USC with his drinking issue and which, you know, I, on just a side note, before we really dig into this a little bit deeper, um, you know, I'm really happy that there's somebody in college football that would hire somebody that went through something like that, where we, we now see him having a successful career, um, I don't know. I don't know the extent of, of his addiction and I don't really know if it's so much of my business or not. Um, but as far as I can remember, I don't remember any DUIs or anything like that. He just, I remember he got really drunk one night and was talking at USC and said some things he shouldn't have said about the opponent. And so stuff like that was kind of going on. I don't know if you remember that at all, but, um, a tad. Yeah. And see, so the fact that there was somewhere for him to go where now we're like kind of it's not really that many years ago that that happened. And, and we're, we're talking about a totally different person who's now ready to be a head coach again, who's recovered that. Well, I think it's kind of funny that Jack uses the word rehab here because in that sense, maybe it kind of, it really kind of was, um, yeah. but you know, it's, it's good. It's good to see that. So I, I do, I do want to say that um, is being a disciple, a saving disciple holding that much weight. I think we're seeing, yeah, right. It's kind of hard to deny, and you, you have 
that there's kind of two philosophies I think for athletic directors. Now I've never been one. I've only talked to a few. I, I don't, but this is just sort of how I see it is we're going to, we're going to hire people that have, that have this, this already overwhelming background, right? That maybe they're at the tail end of their career and they want to see a resurgence and they think they're going to do it here. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's great. That's a great way of thinking. It's not really necessarily my way of thinking because then there's the other side. It's like, let's find the next young guy for a cheaper price. Um, because a guy like Sarkeesian is not cheap. I don't know what the contract was. I, I can't tell you for sure. I don't, I don't, but I would just imagine it was not relatively inexpensive. And like no. you saw with UCLA hiring Chip Kelly to just a, a massive contract there, there's a literal price tag there that you need to, to pay to get somebody who has this experience. So if you're getting funneled though through, this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit messy because it doesn't fit in those two categories for me, because what's happening is somewhere in the middle now is you have somebody who has an established background, but they're coming through a new system, learning a new system that's been proven to work for so many years under Saban. Now, now you see a guy like Lane Kiffin go to Ole Miss and offensively the success that he had this year and just how much better of a head coach he was than he was when he was at Tennessee and USC and Oakland with the Raiders. Of course, there's going to be some, some weight to that. When you look at the NFL too, you know, Sean McVay had that good year with the Rams. All of a sudden, everybody that worked for Sean McVay is getting hired. So I think anytime you can work for somebody who has had so much success, you're going to be looked at in a better, a better light. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that with the stuff that, I mean, Saban was saying about O'Brien and getting back into coaching, I mean, mm-hmm. he said that he thinks he's he did a really good job in Houston when he was the head coach. And when he became general manager, maybe things didn't go how he would have liked, you know, after an 0-4 start. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, having been a head coach in that league, it's difficult Saban knows how difficult it is to do both of being a general manager and a head coach. Um, so, you know, based on the work that he's done, he's an outstanding coach and a good person. He's got Saban said he's got a good family and he'll do a great job with the players at Alabama and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does have weight. And I think that, you know, like if I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you would probably know better since you were the one that's on the coaching side of things. And I didn't, I haven't necessarily worked um, with too many people like that. But like you said, I mean, if you work for a coach and you're in a winning program, that has leverage um, mm-hmm. anywhere. I mean, you were, you were with Annie Kennedy for a while and you guys had a really amazing the most winningest i can't remember what you said about the old miss basketball team winning winning a stretch most... in in the history of the program uh of course yeah. i got excited talking about it but yeah <laughs> most most wins by any coach in the history of the program yeah so but... i mean it's, it's just stuff like that so um i think that I completely agree with everything that you're saying so i don't necessarily think i have a whole lot of input on it but yeah i mean it's Saban's world and we just live in it basically. Well, yeah. Well, and, and here's another thing to think about too, because 
there's crossover where we've worked um, more so than I think you you give credit for um, because what's the most important thing I think I think you know the answer but the most important thing of all is appeasing the the boosters because yeah. that's who's paying the contract so you know you gotta <laughs> hire you gotta hire somebody that they're gonna be happy with and and why I think programs shy away from younger names and, and assistant coaches uh, from we'll call it lesser programs is because they don't have the same prestige to them there's there's not the same uh excitement that comes with with hiring an, an unproven guy and i think fans have gotten really impatient uh and an example i really like to look at is is texas in basketball which is funny because they're one of the most impatient football programs but in basketball they they gave shock is smart another year now i don't know if it was covid related that they gave him another year but there was talk that he was going to be fired and whole things going on but then now look they're they're ranked fifth in the country right now in basketball uh there's something to be said for having patience and allowing somebody to see their plan the whole way through and it it, it takes time sometimes um it takes time i mean people don't understand like you're you're living in a new place in a lot of situations you've never been to this place before in your entire life and all of a sudden you're asked to recruit kids from that place to go to your school when you have no background in it. Uh, so right. even that takes time. And then you, you got to have a system put in place and, and football to me. And maybe it's just because I don't know as much about football and it seems a little bit more daunting of a task, but there are pros and cons to, to football recruiting because yes, you're bringing in bigger classes, but you have more, more spots to fill in basketball you're bringing in smaller classes so that means if you don't hit on your guys that you bring in you're done and um you know when you, when you combine i don't know there's just something to be said about about having a a background where you're you know as as jack said a saban disciple and at, at this point right now that's really what that's really what it is 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 saban's doing something that's that's that these coaches are learning from uh and i guarantee you it's nothing that we've ever heard in the media and it's nothing that has been said outside of that locker room there's just something that's that's going on i mean i i have a million stories that i could share that i won't uh, you know about things that i learned from being inside an sec locker room but right. i think i think that's what's interesting is is um you know and this kind of takes us on to a different topic but you're talking about things where here i don't want to give away my secrets you know yeah no. you know, I, i'm not i'm not telling anybody anything about what i've learned unless they're unless they're hiring me but um <laughs> it's um it's just there there is something that that happens and and i'll try to explain this the best way that i can i hope this is interesting enough without giving away too much information but every day i swear to you every day when first day to the last day four years something happened every day where i went i never thought about it like that before and then the next day i never thought about it like that before and i'm talking four straight years every day something happened where i had it, it had never occurred to me that that was even an option of things 
to do. Um, you know, and, and the, the analogy I like to use a lot is my, my brother's a music producer. And when he was in high school, he was, he was doing some recording at, at a really famous producer studio and um, I'll give away his secrets and not mine. Um, but uh, <laughs> You know, you know, one of the things that that's really interesting is like, you know, he was, he was young. He was maybe 16, 15. And, and the first thing that he, one of the things that he saw that he'd never even thought about before was taking multiple takes of a track and putting them in the same, you know, in the, in the final take uh, for that track. Right. So if you have three, three vocals, you take all the best parts from all three and make them one. Well, that's the sort of thing that you start to discover when you're sitting in a college basketball program for four years is it's, it's just, you know, I never thought to play defense that way. I never thought about this offensive principle that I didn't know those things were even possible. And then all of a sudden what happens, and this is why Saban's people sometimes go on and are in some ways better than him is like Lane Kiffin. I wouldn't say he's a better coach, but offensively has an incredible mind and can see when plays or he's going to score a touchdown before the ball's even snapped like that. That's insane. So now you take the level of knowledge that he learned from Nick Saban with things like recruiting, uh, how to avoid recruiting violations, how to violate right. recruiting <laughs> policies <laughs> and how not to. And in, in all of these things just kind of come together and you see this, this whole new kind of, project developing in front of you that I guarantee you that some of these coaches when they leave Alabama don't even realize the power that they now wield when they come into a new a new school so that's that's something that I, I think people need to be aware of something that's not talked about a lot is that it's not just on field stuff and it's, it's not what you hear it's too. it's just it's just everything it's everything yeah and so um yeah so it's just crazy and I think that, like, I can agree with you on the, like, wow, I never thought about it like that. I took an NCAA um, bylaw course in my graduate program, and I knew that there were rules, and I knew that um, specifically for, like, recruiting and for student-athletes and blah, 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 the big topic at the time, uh, the NIL debate, like, the NCAA just approved that students could um, receive compensation off of name, image, and likeness and things like that. So that was like the huge topic of conversation. But we also were just talking about um, basically just like general violations that coaches like will make mistakes on and it's not even like their fault basically or like just mm -hmm. during the recruiting process like taking photo like a, a potential student athlete taking a photo with a current athlete and like posting it on social media and stuff like that mm -hmm. um just like little basic things and i think that you're right in the sense that like you know some of these people might have like these coaches like you know while they know of all this stuff and it's policy and probably built in somehow into whatever universities they end up moving on to or where they've come from i think that alabama and specifically nick saban he seems like the kind of guy that runs a tight ship and it during the recruiting process it's his way or the highway and like everything is in its order and like you need to hit points x y and z and if you don't do that then it's not successful or you screw up and yada 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 and mm. so it, it is important to remember that kind of stuff because i don't necessarily i think people understand that some of the ncaa rules are a little bit like why why are they there like why does that bylaw specifically the bagel rule like i can't i can't 
handle that. Um, we can go into that later, but it's just, there's so much to think about off the field that, um, yeah, I feel like he probably has the whole division one manual, uh, memorized front and back from cover to cover, which <laughs> is insane because that is a terrible, terrible read. I can forward it to anybody who would want to read it. It's awful. <laughs> Yeah, and then you know you're you're more of an expert on this than I am, but you know they have these finable offenses. Well, okay, a finable yep. offense. If I self-report and and pay the fine, then nobody cares anymore. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't know what that's like from a um, administrative perspective. Uh, I don't know how much of a bother that is. What like what happens then? I guess so. If you yeah. do if you do self-report a violation. What is that process? Take me through that process. So from what I can remember, um, like the, the schools, like schools like Tennessee and I believe Alabama and like Clemson and like those schools. So like specifically like SEC schools, a lot of them self-report um, violations. They'll self-report on themselves even if they don't think that they like they're not sure that they violated something but they're not sure that they didn't violate something mm -hmm. they will self-report on themselves because it's better to self-report on yourself than to not report at all and then have somebody find out that um that you didn't report it and you think that something might have happened because then you're in a whole like mess I'm, I won't swear. I'm trying to do better on that. It's a whole <laughs> storm just coming at you. Mm -hmm. um, but it really depends, depending on what division you're in and also, like, what kind of offense it is. It depends on right. when self-reporting, what happens from there. If it's, like, a lower level, I believe it's just, like, a, a, a fine and you might have to do something like that. If it's higher level, then you'll have to, depending on what it is, there are, like, councils that you have to talk to and, like, you have to pay a fine as well as, put, like, do, like, a whole process of things. Um, as well as I think there are, like, some punishments that the NCAA can give you. Um, but it really all depends. And all of that information, you can find all of that on the NCAA website. Um, it's, it's, like, all there. And that's the interesting part is that I don't think that people – a lot of fans – and people who don't work in the industry, like, they they immediately just go, oh, well, that rule is BS, or oh, that fine is BS, or, like, whatever. But, like, if you check out some of the, like, different offenses, like, it could either be, like, a lot worse for your team, or your team got off easy. So I totally recommend checking that kind of stuff out, um, just so that you get, like, a better sense of, like, where your team might be. Because before like working in sports and before even like thinking about having like uh, going to school for sports and things like that like I used to rush the field at my university like when we would win and stuff like that with everybody else and like we couldn't understand why we couldn't do that until like the cameras turned off or like whatever it may be if the game was televised um so it's just like those things pile up and then the, the fines just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger because right. they don't go down. So, yeah, so that's like a whole other topic. For, well, for anyone that, that doesn't know, and 
again, correct me if I'm if I'm off with my numbers or anything. Because I'm not certain I am, but um, like uh, we we went through a, a period, excuse me, of uh, Ole Miss football where we had some huge upsets at home. The fine got up to nearly a uh, million dollars um, for the next time <laughs> that we and and. So what what happens is I think it goes up a quarter million every time you do it in in the SEC. Um, I it believe might be, so. It might be five hundred thousand every time you do it. I don't really know, but it was it was like a million or two million at this point that the fine would have been. And I just remember like that that whole week of them just pleading to just don't don't storm the field if we win this game, <laughs> please don't do it. And uh, I don't think we won, but um, it's just. It's just interesting of, of kind of the perspectives. It just seems like such a um, – I'm never really – I still don't really understand. I understand the safety purposes of it, but yeah. have, you, have you been to a college campus? Like, you're not going to stop it. There's nothing There's nothing you can do. <laughs> they lined They lined up that entire football field with policemen, and there was not a single thing one of them was going to do if, if we won that game. There was just the no way. The policemen would run and, out there with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just nothing you can do. And, no. And um, we, we, had, we had Baylor on, on the ropes in basketball one year. Uh, they were the number five team in the country at the time. And that, there was nothing they were going to do there. That was going to be like a half million dollar fine. But the whole point I'm getting at here is that fine, no matter how many years go by, never goes down. It never goes down. It never so, goes down. If you pull off a big upset in, in five years, it's still the same <laughs> fine. So it's just funny. It's just, to me, like, what do you think about that rule? I think that that rule really doesn't make a it's whole so lot of sense. I understand the no. safety, but what about that is keeping from keeping drunk college kids from from storming nothing. the field? It's it does nothing for them. Nothing. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't raise or lower tuition. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't it's, do anything. It's punishing. It's punishing the university, and it's basically saying to the university, like, you can't control your students, so screw yeah, you. No, no university um, can control their students. Tell me one that no, can. Like, <laughs> please, not one. like I was gonna say, please tell me any university that doesn't have partying and college students and like that, like go crazy and whatever. Like, yeah, and you know I what, mean, kids? I went to a... if if you <laughs> if you find one, don't go there. Okay, because that's <laughs> because boring. it's boring. <laughs> it's boring. Don't. I'm not saying you like don't don't. I I hardly did any partying in college. I was super lame and worked all the time. But my point to you is this. I still went onto the field when we beat Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you still come want on. those fun yeah. you still Have want fun. those fun like things. But it's just like, you know, I mean I can't think of one university and I mean I visited you when you were at Ole Miss and mm. we got to go to a football game and we went to a bit well, you were working the basketball game, but yeah. I got to go to a basketball game. Um and like it was a lot of fun. And everybody was, like, going crazy and whatever. And, like, the tailgating at Ole Miss is, like, no other. Um, we had, like, zero tailgating at CU. I don't remember. Did I take you to a, any kind of games when you came to visit CU? No, because I, I came. I could only visit people in the spring. So, no. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. there was nothing going on. But, like, CU would have, like one or two people tailgating and they like it was kind of cool and then you had like the school tailgate stuff where they brought out ralphie and whatever but um 
it was like there was like zero tailgating but everybody was like pre-gaming at their own houses and apartments and stuff like that like people would get rowdy it's it's sports it's supposed to be fun and exciting um and like what those argus people are gonna stop me from running on the field i don't think so <laughs> like, like they're like mall cops i'm sorry i'm, I'm sorry if anybody <laughs> works for argus but they're like mall cops like what are you gonna do and like i mean I've never been thrown out of a football game other than that one time I went to a powder puff football game for a sorority and some frat guy threw me out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, it just doesn't make sense. What would make more sense to me is if they restarted the fines each season. So let's say they start at a base. The first offense is however much and then like it keeps going up but then by the end of the season it goes it's completely gone so then you restart again um mm. that would make more sense to me than having this exponential growth on these on these games where it's just like like you said it's like two million dollars are you kidding me like no <laughs> i mean granted a university could probably pay for it but no yeah, like why it. should they it's not their fault where does that money go you don't know? It just it just disappears. No, I don't know. Sadly, really? um, I'll oh, I'll look into oh. it. I think it goes to like scholarship stuff, you know, with the NCAA and like programming and mm. whatever what have you. But honestly, I can't be a hundred percent sure on that. Um, I hope it doesn't go to any salaries of any kind. I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I I highly doubt that they would do that. Um. NCA is pretty good about their PR. Uh, they they have a couple hiccups down the road, but any, anything that's planned out like that definitely is not going to have a, a a fine that's unfavorable in in the uh, <laughs> public opinion. But you know, it, I what a, college is what a, what a unique system we have here where we have right. sports to rally around. Um, where every school is a blank sport school, you know, like a even even some schools are soccer schools, but they still go, you know. Is it like a? I want to say UCSB, right? Don't, don't they? They have a pretty solid soccer program, right? Men's oh, soccer? the soccer program. Soccer is huge here yeah. at UCSB. I used mm -hmm. to go to soccer games as a kid growing up. We would That's bring our pack of tortillas, throw it on the field um it was it was awesome yeah they've got great soccer great um i believe baseball baseball is really big here too mm -hmm. um and then we used to have when i was a kid we used to have a really good basketball team i think they've gotten better within the past couple of years but i don't think that they're they're great anymore like they used to be i have a former player that actually plays there right now uh oh. but yeah um, so yeah, I mean, what are you, the, the NCAA, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about uh, yeah. that? Yeah. Last thing that I'm going to say about the NCAA, <laughs> their bagel rule is so dumb. For those of you who don't know, the bagel rule permits schools to offer students bagels, fruits, and nuts to the athletes at any time that they want, except they cannot give cream cheese or peanut butter to the students because that would be considered a full meal instead of a snack. Didn't they? They did get rid of that rule, correct? Um, 
when UConn won the national championship and Kem- I think I want to say it was Kemba Walker that said that, but it might've been the other, I, I I'm having my, my time periods mixed up. Um, I can't remember which really good UConn guard it was. That was like, we're the hungry Huskies, but he didn't really mean it <laughs> like that. But it was like a week after they had talked about how they were going sometimes several days without eating, but then still having practice. And then the NCAA was like, well, I mean, now that that's gotten out, yeah. we can't do that because yeah. snacks, snacks and, and meals are everywhere in a division one program. It's the best part. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was um, the bagel roll was um, like dispersed. You were allowed to get cream cheese back yeah, okay. in 2014. Yeah, it's the same year. Yeah, um, but, but it, was just, it was just guard. crazy. Oh, this is gonna kill I mean, me. You, you keep but going. I mean, prior prior to that, I mean, athletes were given either free meals a day or a food stipend, and the food stipend was usually below the level required to sustain at least four thousand calories a day at a minimum that most most athletes need to eat in order to maintain body weight and um, much less gain mass. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the NCAA Council expanded the benefit of free food to include walk-ons, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like apparently free meals would be improper benefits or something like that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just a crazy the NCAA. Some of the stuff that goes on, you're just like, what are we living in the fifties? But yeah, I mean, it, it was Shabazz Napier. I'll correct myself. See, I'm just trying yeah. to avoid getting older. That's all I'm doing. So, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I got my errors mixed up. But uh, Shabazz Napier was was the one, and that was 2014. So, you know, after that, um, they were like, "No, we, we, everybody's got the money. Feed your feed your players. Yeah. Do your thing." Well, I mean, um, like that goes back to the um, self-reporting. <laughs> Oklahoma mm-hmm. self-reported themselves for an excessive pasta violation. So, <laughs> like, See, that's I what never, I'm talking about when, when I never I'm just saw, like these. So, <laughs> I never saw anything like that. I, I don't know if, because I mean, I started working in the fall of of 2014, and that rule was over in the spring of 2014. So. I, I don't even know what a world without food in a Division One program looks like. I've never yeah. heard of anything so ridiculous in my entire life. But we, but, yeah. Um, well, I mean, for for those who were super concerned about how the pasta violation ended, um, I am. So actually. there was just there were three students that received a food excess. Um, at a graduation banquet, the three had graduated from school but returned for an additional season of competition, um, and the players were provided pasta in excess of the permissible al- amount allowed. So the resolution was that the uh, the three student athletes were required to donate three dollars and eighty three cents each, which was the cost of the pasta serving, to a charity of their choice in order to be reinstated. Um, and the department provided rules education to applicable athletics department staff members mm-hmm. so they uh had to pay three dollars and 83 cents per person oh okay how petty <laughs> how it petty is. it is 
Well, I think that's all the time that we have for today, but thanks for joining us. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell so that you get alerted every time that we post a new episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Music, where you can listen to the podcast on your drive to work, on your drive home, anytime you're in the car, really. I've been taking drives recently just to get out of the house during the pandemic. So feel free to hook us up to your car, listen to us on the go, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Heels on the Court.